This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. We are hoping in our second segment today to go over and check out the new digs for the new Root of Happiness establishment, which is opening in Davis this next week. This, of course, is a kava bar, a rather unique fixture in America, although you can find them all over the place if you're in Vanuatu. We spoke with proprietor Tyler Blythe about his Sacramento establishment some months back on the show and would uh, recommend that you check that out at your leisure, dear listener. But we'll have an update today, so I guess you won't have to do that necessarily. We think that's going to be a lot of fun. We're hoping week after next to bring you Jay Barbary to talk about Neil Armstrong with the 45th anniversary of the moon landing coming upon us. While out in San Francisco Bay a few days ago, yours truly observed the USS Hornet, an aircraft carrier, which is docked in Alameda. And apparently that was the ship that picked up the Apollo 11 spacecraft as it splashed down in the Pacific back in 1969. There's an event in the 26th, supposedly attended by Buzz Aldrin. We hope we'll be there and hope we'll be able to uh, speak with the illustrious Apollo 11 astronaut. Let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History, with our date today being the 17th of July. It was on July 17th in 709 BC that the earliest confirmed recording of a solar eclipse was made in China. Fortunately for posterity, the Chinese were some pretty meticulous astronomic observers and recorded what they saw. On July 17, 1821, Spain ceded Florida to the United States as part of a deal to cancel $5 million in debts. I think anyone who knows anything about Florida real estate knows that buying the whole state for $5 bucks was probably a pretty good deal. And on July 17, 1917, the British royal family changed its name from Saxe Coburg Goethe to Windsor, which allows us to use a bonus quip for today's program, and probably the only time we ever will quote Kaiser Wilhelm II. He apparently remarked in the wake of that name change that this was too bad, because he'd always been quite a fan of that Shakespeare play, The Merry Wives of Saxe Coburg Goethe. And yes, they did take the name of the castle. Our quotes of the day, and I think we have more than one, oddly enough, comes from some staffers working for San Joaquin County. They produced a report about Jerry Brown's twin tunnels as part of the so-called Bay Delta Conservation Plan. Said the officials of San Joaquin County, this proposal will effectively destroy the Delta as it exists today. I guess we should put that in quotes. They also said that the tunnels have been deceptively portrayed as a, quote, conservation plan, unquote, and that the plan, quote, reflects a triumph of project advocacy over sound science, unquote. They also noted that the 34,000-plus page description of the project is, quote, among the least user-friendly environmental reviews in history, unquote. They had a meeting down in Stockton, I guess, to take a look at this uh, fiasco last week. Unfortunately, we were unable to attend, but we'll continue to follow this bit of political chicanery. As far as we're concerned, the Bay Delta Conservation Plan is about as much about conserving the Delta as the German government's plan for relocating Jews in World War II was about sending them off to health spas. 
This might be a good time to mention right off the top that the opinions you hear on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Our quip of the day, and I'm not sure it's really a quip, but it, it's so bizarre we're going to shoehorn into the show anyway. It's the official state motto of Maryland, which don't ask us why, but apparently it is manly deeds, womanly words. And we're certain there's a joke there somewhere, but we just can't find it. But our jokes of the day come from the writers for Seth Myers and Conan O'Brien, and God bless them for helping out this program. Said Seth Myers a couple days ago, in an upcoming article for the Wall Street Journal, Tyra Banks predicts that everyone will have a robot in the future. The article raises a lot of good questions, like, why is the Wall Street Journal interviewing Tyra Banks? And no, we don't know the answer. And said Conan's writers a few weeks back, a guy got a tattoo on his leg of the KFC Double Down Sandwich. Apparently he wanted to do something he would regret even more than eating a KFC Double Down Sandwich. <laughs> All right, and our anecdote of the day, and we're not sure this actually qualifies as an anecdote because I think that's more of a story about a person, isn't it? Anyway, calling Dr. Andy. Well, I guess we'll just call it our tale of the day is that apparently the selective service system, and, and no, I'm not sure, don't we have an all-volunteer army? Why do we still have a selective service system? Do we have it just in place in case we want to bring the draft back? One would have to assume so. Well, apparently, our selective service system sent notices this week to more than 14,000 Pennsylvania men born between 1893 and 1897. They were ordered to register for the nation's military draft and were warned that failure to do so is punishable by a fine and imprisonment. Evidently, the agency realized the error when it began receiving calls from bewildered relatives. For example, Chuck Huey, 73, of Kingston, Pennsylvania, got a notice addressed to his late grandfather, Bert Huey, a World War I veteran born in 1894 who died in 1995 at the age of 100. He said he tried calling the Selective Service, but couldn't get a live person on the line. Yes, and apparently the glitch originated when the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation transferred nearly 400,000 records to the Selective Service. A clerk working with the state's database failed to select the century, producing records for males born between 1993 and 1997, and also those born a century earlier. Spokeswoman Jan McKnight said, we made a mistake, a quite serious selection error. Well, we'd have to agree, because if you're hoping to build up a military draft using those guys, eh, pretty clear you're going to come up short. The Associated Press noted that the men are almost certainly all dead, given that the youngest would be turning 117 this year. Yeah, but our question remains, why do we have a selective service system if we don't have a draft. Does this prove the fact that bureaucracies are never dismantled? Fortunately, we have a good news story related to old guys in the military, which is that sometime last year, I believe it was in October, a World War II veteran from St. Paul, Minnesota, returned a Japanese sword he took as a war souvenir seven decades previously. He gave it back to the grandson of its original owner. Orville Amdahl, age 94, brought the ceremonial sword home from Japan after occupying the bombed-out city of Nagasaki in 1945. 
He kept it in good condition until deciding last year to return it to his rightful owner. And um, sometime in October, he handed it over to Tadahiro Motomura, who flew to the U.S. for a formal ceremony. Said Amdahl, I've had it for 68 years. I hope he has it for 68 years. Unfortunately, our stats of the day today aren't, aren't so hot, uh, starting with the fact that according to Vox.com, May 2014 was the warmest May globally since records began in 1880. The average global temperature this last May was 59.9, 1.3 degrees hotter than the May average for the whole of the 20th century. And that's true whether or not you believe in global warming. Also, according to BBC.com, although smoking is becoming less popular in many parts of the world, the total number of smokers is growing. In fact, it's growing close to a billion people. In 2012, 967 million smoked every day, which is up from 721 million in 1980. No, we're not sure how many of those are in China, but we know that the, um, the American tobacco companies are very happy about marketing their products over in the People's Republic. Right, let's do a third stat that's a little less depressing, but still eyebrow-raising. Apparently, for the first time ever, most members of Congress are millionaires. That's according to a report from the Center for Responsive Politics, which notes that at least 268 of the 534 current members of Congress have an average net worth of $1 million or more. All right, let's jump right into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to Forbes.com, as reported in The Week magazine, getting into our attention, it was a good week last week for the self-esteem movement. But the news that a study from British Columbia shows that it turns out that being stuck up can improve your chances for landing a job. Apparently, these Canadian researchers found that job interviewers tended to favor narcissistic candidates over equally qualified but far more humble applicants. Maybe John Vasconcellos was on to something. He was, of course, the California Democrat who uh, was really big on instilling self-esteem into our youth. Speaking of California Democrats, it might have been a bad week for them a few weeks back with the news that George Clooney, although he's being wooed by Democrats to run for governor, told the Mirror in the UK that uh, this probably wasn't such a great idea. In fact, uh, Clooney dismissed the notion <laughs> about his running for office with the mirror by saying he'd, quote, slept with too many women, done too many drugs, and been to too many parties, unquote. We don't know. That didn't stop Jesse Ventura or, God forbid, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it was an ugly week and probably an ugly month and maybe an ugly year for the long-suffering Cuban people with the news that uh, they're having a condom shortage on the island. Reports note that the shortage started in the central provinces of the country and now spread to the suburbs of Havana, including areas with relatively high HIV rates. The price for a single condom is now ridden to $1.30, which doesn't sound too bad, except that's the average daily wage in Cuba. The state-run wholesaler blamed the shortage and the need to repackage 100 million condoms that were wrongly labeled as expiring in 2012, but in fact were still good through 2014. Cuban officials say they would allow pharmacies to sell the mislabeled condoms, which is big of them, don't you think? 
Let's see if we can do a news lightning round. I was in Marin County a couple of weeks ago with a couple of lawyers at dinner, surprisingly, who were just bagging on our current Supreme Court's five to four decision regarding Hobby Lobby. In that case, as you may know, the court ruled that family-owned businesses can invoke religious objections to avoid covering contraception in the employee's health plan. Conservatives are very happy about this, of course, because it's punching yet another hole in Obamacare. That was a bad 5-4 to four decision, but uh, a questionable 9-0 decision by the court was that it unanimously overturned a Massachusetts law that barred anti-abortion activists for entering a 35-foot buffer zone around the door of any abortion clinic. In an editorial, the New York Times noted that in the real world, many protesters come equipped with megaphones, gruesome placards, and aborted fetuses. The Massachusetts buffer law, after all, was passed after two clinic workers were shot to death in 1994 and has proved, according to state police, by far the most effective way of keeping the peace, maintaining the public safety, and still respecting freedom of speech. Writing in Slate.com, Dahlia Lithwick said, This ruling wasn't as monumentally awful as one might have gathered, which is her opinion, but she did note uh, in her commentary that uh, protesters are required by federal law to stay at least 250 feet away from the Supreme Court building itself. But uh, the lawyers I was having dinner with said that Roberts is bad, but Alito is an idiot. Well, at least that was their opinion. And commenting on this was Charlie Pierce in Esquire.com, a guy we do need to bring on this program, who said that uh, the court has proved that it has a favorite religion, inciting with the Christians at Hobby Lobby. In 1990, the justices ruled that Native Americans didn't have the right to consume peyote as a religious sacrament on the basis that it would, quote, make the professed doctrines of religious belief superior to the law of the land, unquote. Clearly, when it comes to Christianity's professed doctrines, they have no such qualms. And in sounding off about all these rights the Supreme Court has granted to corporations, etc., and some other matters, Al Lewis, writing in the Wall Street Journal, a guy we can't believe the Wall Street Journal publishes, by the way, but said Al, in Al's Emporium, Free speech, freedom of religion, what cherished human right will our Supreme Court bestow upon corporations next? The right to bear arms? Contrary to the court's perversely broad definition of humanity, a corporation is not actually a person. It is a thing that a person, sometimes a very bad person, hides behind. It is an edifice. It is a fiction. It is a legal charter that too often absolves antisocial leaders of personal responsibility when they lay people off cheat customers, pollute the environment, and otherwise swindle, defraud, manipulate, maim, and kill. Can you believe Rupert Murdoch publishes this guy? He goes on, the CEO didn't do it, the management team didn't do it, the board didn't do it, none of the employees did it, and to ease any lingering suspicions, the corporation will now pay a fine to settle the allegations without admitting or denying guilt. He says most corporations, of course, aren't run by bad people. Unfortunately, bad people have risen to the top of some of our largest and most influential companies. Noting that the Supreme Court ruled last week that the Oklahoma-based Hobby Lobby can restrict the kinds of birth control methods its employee health insurance policies will cover. Said Lewis, if I ran such a corporation, I would exclude all erectile dysfunction drugs to keep grandpas from becoming fathers again. Before he closes, Lewis cites the Occupy Wall Street protesters' signs that said, I'll believe corporations are people when Texas executes one. 
And speaking of other editorial opinions, we had to note one by Michael Gerson writing in the Washington Post titled, Obama is divisive. Is he incompetent? And he goes on to blather about a Quinnipiac poll which noted that Obama was voted the worst president since World War II. Uh-huh. He just followed George W. Bush. <laughs> you mean to tell me this poll means something? Gerson said this poll was largely a measure of partisan concentration. Republicans were united in their unfavorable historical judgment of Obama, while Democrats were divided. We need to do a program some point on, on political polling and how, uh, well, I guess it confirms that Disraeli was right. When he said there were three types of lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. I mean, Obama is a bit of a disappointment. Might he be incompetent? Well, we'd hate to have to defend him. But headlines like this, is he divisive or just incompetent? It, it kind of reminds me of the old National Lampoon satire of the reefer madness type mentality of the 30s. When they had a headline titled, Marijuana, Threat or Menace? And I love this piece in the B by... <laughs> Roberta McGlashan and Steve Miklos about how a southeast connector would ease traffic jams across the Sacramento region. They start out with the dubious proposal that fortunately for all of us, the fix of Highway 50 uh, didn't cause massive traffic jams in, in the greater metro area, but that of course there's still the potential for this and the only way to fix that is to put another connector highway to the southern part of the county. Well, actually, I think I'm misspeaking. It's a connection between Elk Grove, Rancho Cordova, Folsom, and El Dorado Hills, which developers want so they can develop the hell out of the El Dorado Hills and make a lot of money, even though there's no water down there, even though it'll cause environmental damage, even though it'll cause massive traffic jams, even with a new highway. These knuckleheads write in their piece, once the connector's built, drivers will have a safe option parallel to Highway 50 that helps them avoid the congested central core of Sacramento. I guess presumably by creating another congested central area in El Dorado Hills. I also love this special to the B by James Raya, who was writing about uh, the, the California, the, was writing about the tour of California, but I'm sure he's at it again writing about the Tour de France, which he does every year. He titled a piece, How Can Cyclists Overcome Sports Credibility Issue? Subheadline: drug scandals leave image in tatters. My question is, how can James Raya overcome his credibility issue since he's been covering this issue for years and only recently found out, hey, there's drugging going on. Evidently, he'd written whole books about the Tour de France prior to this and failed to mention it. Speaking of what the reporters were not too crazy about, we did note a while back in awarding Marcos Breton our Jackass of the Week Award. That he, did, that he did stand an outside chance of overtaking Nick Miller, who's currently been designated, even though it's only July, as our horse's ass of the year. Possibly enraged by the potential competition, Nick Miller's now gone after Marcos Breton in the page of the News and Review. To quote from Miller's editor's note in a recent edition, Gotta love the Sacramento Bee's lone city columnist Marcos Breton, a guy who stands up for the rich and really sticks it to the poor. What a champ. He apparently takes issue with some of the chicanery going on over our downtown arena, the great corporate welfare for the kings, etc. Then apparently a group of housing, living wage, and small business and homeless advocates tried to discuss the community benefits agreement with the kings. In the wake of the kings, and in the wake of the kings ignoring this coalition and Breton coming in on their side, well, Nick was just outraged. 
Yes, apparently supporting the rich and powerful when it comes to housing matters is a capital offense. Unless you're Nick Miller and you're going to bat for Phil Angelides and Angelo Sakopoulos in the potentially disastrous and ill-advised McKinley Village project, which they've managed to grease in the palms to slip through the system so far. Do the disclaimer, right? Yes. Good. But, uh, you know, jerk editorial writers aren't, uh, aren't confined to Sacramento. We got a pretty good one over in San Francisco, Deborah Saunders. In fact, she's now, I think, number three on our list for potential candidates for horse's ass of the year. On the strength of this kind of writing. No wonder conservatives don't trust the media. A new poll by Indiana University has found that just 7% of American journalists identify themselves as Republicans. Four times as many journalists admit to being Democrats, 28%, while 50% profess to be independent, with the rest saying they are, quote, other, unquote. She goes on, liberal journalists like to tell themselves their profession is so unbalanced because it attracts people who want to challenge authority. They can't admit the obvious, which is that liberal editors tend to hire people who dress, think, and vote as they do. Yeah, hello, attention Deborah Saunders. Editors can hire whoever they want. The people that own the publications get to decide what appears in print, which forces us to, again, bring up the notion of the liberal media, which, like the Loch Ness Monster, is something we've heard a great deal about over the years but have so far failed to spot. I know there are some of you out there that uh, believe that uh, these large media corporations are hiring people who are constantly and relentlessly working to thwart the interests of the parent corporations, but, uh, well, you guys may need some kava. All right, and the guy who we don't want to give kava to because we don't want to see him overly relaxed is our good pal, Mr. Will Durst. Hey, guys. Will Durst here to explain that if you were in a bad mood back in 2012, chances are you were either a member of the Romney family or being manipulated by Facebook. Or both. Turns out the social media giant filtered the messages of 700,000 users by flooding them with uplifting and or depressing posts, then monitoring who got happy and who got sad. Bobby's grandma died. Aw. But hey, watch what happens when this pit bull chews on a kiddie pool. They say we agreed to this kind of tomfoolery when we signed on, but it's doubtful even the people who write them actually read those user agreements. They're longer than the migratory path of the monarch butterfly and displayed in flea font. Wouldn't be surprised to discover the fine print has a clause that in time of war they own one of my kidneys. Google also admits running 20,000 experiments on its search results every year, and some folks are outraged by these revelations, but really, anybody expecting online privacy is probably a big fan of the Tooth Fairy and still drinking juice out of a sippy cup wearing footy pajamas. This is the price we pay for having the world at our fingertips. The other side of the coin is we are at everyone else's fingertips, and some are clammy and cold. You notice no one is making noises about going back to MySpace. Facebook claims they're just trying to create the best Petri dish of social contact possible. And we microbes should expect research to continue. 
The best we can hope for is to nudge them into a more popular direction. Like, don't they want to know how many people delete their accounts after all cute cat videos are outlawed? The thing is, if Mark Zuckerberg is going to use us as lab rats, the least he could do is throw us some cheese. Hey, Zuck, how about some digital cheese? For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Durst is so right about these invasions of our privacy, but we don't have time to go into that in any kind of length today. So instead, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Parallax.